You are Locked On Seminoles, your daily podcast on the Florida State Seminoles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome back to another edition of Locked On Seminoles. Happy Wednesday, everybody. It's your host, Drake. Max right now is off, or now you're stuck with me and Dave. Dave, how are you doing, beautiful? I see that you're in a sunny, sunny part of New York right now. I am, Drake, but you said good morning, good afternoon. It is neither for Florida State fans, and it's not going to be for a while. Oh, damn it, Dave. I'm trying to bring a little bit of positive energy, but you're right. I mean, no. Okay, okay. You know what? That's fair because I think, folks, we've been trying to be very, very, I guess, calm and cool and collected about what happened on Saturday night. And quite frankly, during pre-production, Dave and I have come to the realization that most of us still are extremely pissed off about what happened. So, Dave, I don't think you've gone at length about how mad you are about this game yet over the week. So, I'm going to give the floor to you. Go right ahead. Say what you want to say. Just, you know, sorry, I'll for different today. Yeah, 2006, I watched a Florida State team kind of realize its own peril when it got blown out, ironically, by Wake Forest. Uh, That game last week was a far lower low. It was a lower low than I've ever felt as a Florida State fan born in 89. Uh, And it's hard to put into words just how embarrassing of an effort it was. And just how unprepared the team looked to play a team that they should have been able to sleepwalk through on the, on the field. I mean, part of it, though, isn't part of the issue saying that they kind of believe that they should just beat them just because they are floor state? Because I'm not going to lie to you, kind of seen by them, like, they thought they had won the game just by walking off the bus, which they should with the talent that they have, but it seems that the energy wasn't taken from the Notre Dame games. Like, oh, you know, we got a lot of pots in the back, and then that we should easily beat this team without even, you know, trying our hardest. Yeah, you know, there's two things to be said about that. Uh, One is that's always been the case at a school like Florida State, where your talent gap is so large that it doesn't matter what your mindset is. You should be able to go out there and play backyard football and beat them by 50. And that's there's a reason we've never lost to an FCS team, because we have been able to do that. But more importantly, yeah, it it just I I don't want to say the players didn't care. I put more of the blame on that game on the players not looking like they were put in positions to win or play well. And the effort obviously wasn't fantastic. The execution was even worse, but again, in a game like that, I think all of those things can only matter so much. The talent gap is too great. You just, that's a never event. That should never happen. No, agreed. It's it's something that, I'm going to talk a little more on Friday because I'm not trying to relitigate because I already said my piece on here about how I felt about the game on Monday. Max said his on Monday and Tuesday. I just wanted to, we just wanted to make sure that, Dave, that you kind of got your, your piece about it. Did you, got, you have one final thought before we go into Wake? Like, how you, like what do you want to say, I guess, for FSU, for our listeners right now regarding the Jacksonville State game? Well, there is good news. And, you know, it's funny. We've kind of jokingly said this before, but it truly cannot get worse. I, I think – we are in a position where for those of you out there who are wondering, can we do anything about the coaching staff? Maybe they're not it. That's not realistic, but understand that everybody in the coaching industry thinks highly of Mike Norvell. That's pretty unanimous. And I do expect him to be able to, if not turn around, turn it around, 
get it a lot better than where it is right now. He inherited a bad situation that stops being his an excuse at some point. I don't know if that point is right now or it's going to be coming soon if it's not, but it has to get better because it can't get any worse. No, I mean, I think you're absolutely right about that, primarily because, I mean, I think I said it from the beginning, I was not super high on the hire. I think I've been the more skeptical out of the three of us, specifically with the handling. I think when the Marvin Wilson situation happened last summer, that was my big thing. And then again with, you know, his discussion with him when he ha- he brought on, you know, the governor and everything, discussing COVID and everything else. I'm not going to go too deep into that. Yeah. My ceiling for Mike, not Mike Norvell personally, especially after this past game, is going to be Ron Zook. I think he's someone that's hired to come in, clean out, you know, the entire program, put guys in position for the next guy to come in. For, for Florida, that was Zook and then Urban Meyer. For us, to me, right now, because after seeing we should never lose Jacksonville State, and he was the head coach for that. We were 26-0, now we're 26-1. So for me, like he's going to be the Ronzuk to whoever we have next after that. I would personally hope for Norvell to be that guy, but for right now, I don't see it. But there's enough litigating about that. The game happened, we lost, and now we need to move forward to Wake. And before we do that, though, folks, I would be remiss if we didn't tell you about BetOnline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet all your sports action. Dave, I want to give you a quick bet line of the day real quick. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so per- okay, you know what I'm going to ask you? What? conference do you want to go to this weekend? Do you want to go do some Big Ten? Do you want to do some Pac-12? Or do you want to do some, you know, something away from college football? Like maybe some baseball? Well, you said we're doing college football lines. Uh, that wouldn't include the Big Ten or the Pac-12. And the way I see college football, so you know, you got to need a big conference. You the one a, that's a real football. I need to pick a real conference that plays some real football. How about this? Give me some SEC football, Greg. Give some SEC football. How? I mean, how about this? I'll do a combination of the two. Okay. Because this weekend... College game day is heading over to Happy Valley. Penn State is playing against Auburn, and yeah. Penn State is a minus six favorite. David Wise, are his fade Dave back? So we we let our folks know to pick against you. Oh yeah, fade Dave's back in full form. You're gonna want to bet the exact opposite of what I say. I don't want to say anything in life is a guarantee. It's pretty close to a guarantee if you just fade my pick. So that said, here is my pick. Penn State's going to win this football game. Penn Ooh. State's going to win this. Uh, Penn State's going to win this football game by more than a touchdown. I don't believe Auburn's one of those schools that like they only matter once every six to ten years. But when they do, they're like really good. You know, I, I don't think they're back into that sweet spot of the cycle. Give me Penn State, and I'll give them the points. Okay, Penn State at minus six. Okay, folks, that is Dave's. Is that is, is that your lock, Dave, or is it just your pick for the weekend? No, it's just my pick for the weekend. It's your pick for the weekend? Okay, folks, then that yeah. means go with Auburn because that is the least confident I have ever seen Dave picking a college football game. Everyone take Auburn plus six. Folks, just head on over to benline.ag. Use promo code Locked On. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Benline, your online sportsbook experts. And we're back, Dave. We will be remiss to discuss the new depth chart that just dropped. Now, Max discussed a little bit about you know the one position that I was pro- is probably the most important for the entire you know team yep. as a whole, and that's the quarterbacks. And Mackenzie Milton is now the unofficial the official starter for the Wake Forest game as he the or has been removed. Yeah, Dave, we know your stance on that. Do you agree with Mackenzie Milton actually being named starter for probably this game and most likely the rest of the season? Yeah, I'm. I'm more than fine with it. I would be upset if it were the opposite. And I, I feel like you're going to parrot a lot of these thoughts. But at the quarterback position, I need somebody who's able to hit 
intermediate throws. That's a large part of the current landscape of college football. It's, you're going to create space. You've got to be able to hit those inter- intermediate throws. And I've seen too many examples of Jordan Travis just missing guys that are either wide open or should be easy hits in stride. And even if it is thrown to him, it's behind him and they're having to stop and can't finish their route. It's I've seen enough at the quarterback position. I got to have somebody that can throw competently. But Kenzie Milton to me for all his limitations and the injury, he's, he's a pretty competent thrower of the football. So before I give you my answer, I want to probably give you the main argument. It's honestly, it's a very good argument with that Max is probably going to use too. So, yeah. It's obvious that McKenzie is the better passer, the better quarterback, you know, overall, correct? Yeah. Yep. My pro- I think the primary issue is a quarterback needs wide receivers that are able to, one, get separation, two, catch the ball without drops, and three, actually go attack the ball and get contested catches. How is it that we're able to go with McKenzie Millen if we don't have any of those with at least Jordan Travis? You have the ability for him to run, escape the pocket, and send the play. You know, there's a really weird answer in my mind to that question, which is, if you want to develop these young receivers, because we have a lot of young receivers on this team that could blossom, that are unknowns at this point, and that haven't yet broke out. If you want to develop them as receivers, you got to force the issue, right? you got to try to get the ball there, at least, so that going into next year, they've had real game experience of being hit in the hands with the football or running a route and the ball being thrown there, you know. They, they they have problems with dropsies, with running wrong routes, with being on this, not being on the same page as the quarterbacks. But if we're going to develop them going into next year to the point where we have one or more reliable young receivers, I want Mackenzie Milton in there. I want things to go wrong. I want the trial and error, but I want to at least try it. I want the passing in to be the emphasis. And do you want to try it? So, like, so here's my issue with trying. Well, it's not my issue. I think the main issue with trying is I think the ceiling is a lot higher if you have Mackenzie Milton at quarterback. The yeah. problem is the floor is lower and you might sacrifice a few wins. And right now we I think we're all in consensus that we need to at least win six games. Is starting Mackenzie Milton worth that huge risk? Absolutely one thousand percent in my view. Look, the ceiling and the floor conversation, that's gone. That's gone after last week. That conversation does not matter. The floor at this point feels like right where we are. I don't know what else we could do to make it worse. At this point, you got to just try to put the best football team on the field for this year and prepare them going into next year. I know it's super important to win six games. I'm not confident after what I just saw that that's even going to happen no matter what we do. But that said, I think it's possible, and I think we got to put our best foot forward, and I think that is with Mackenzie Milton. And I am going to give my answer now. I kind of, I am probably in the same camp as you. When I said to uh, two days ago on Monday that this isn't a passing first team, I stand by that statement. We should not be throwing the ball any more than twenty times a game, primarily because we have solid running backs and Jayshon Corbin and Treshawn Ward. That being said, I don't think Jordan Travis has developed as much as we want as a passer in game situations. We heard a lot about how he was doing great in practice, which is great. My worry was I want to see how he reacted when the bullets were live. And outside of the 160-yard bomb to Ja'Kai Douglas, we saw miss after miss after miss. He got really close happy feet, and he would miss, and I think he's done this now twice, where Andrew Parsman is at the boundary line, and he overthrows him. 
And I think that was the last throw he actually did have against Jacksonville State, and he was pulled, and that was only had three throws. The the problem is with Jordan is he drops back, and he has that, like, rapid-fire slamming the B button to do a spin move, right? And, you know, Max's issue with McKenzie was, well, look, if the offensive line can't block for Jordan, how could it block for McKenzie? The thing is, when Milton's out there, it, it, he, he trusts it, he steps up, and he's still able to buy time to make the throws – even with the mobility issues. So I don't think it really is a matter of the offensive line literally is a turnstile. I think it's a matter of having a rhythm and confidence in the passing game. I about to say, I don't think Jordan Travis has the poise yet at the back of the thing. Yeah. I think, and honestly, quite honestly, I think the running game actually was better against Jacksonville State. Now I know it's Jacksonville State has an FCS line where Notre Dame probably has the second best defensive line we'll face all year. But outside of the one big run by Jason Corbin for 90 yards, I think he only averaged like four yards a carry, whereas the other day he averaged like eight, and that's because you have the actual threat of a pass of Mackenzie Miller actually being a legitimate passing threat. And with Jordan Travis, for the past few years, I've watched the Baltimore Ravens offense, and that's someone that we always, always compare Jordan Travis to with being Lamar Jackson. Watching last night, Lamar Jackson, I think is per, like folks go watch actually the if you can do the condensed game of the game last night. I know it was real ugly, but still watch it. Sorry, Monday night. Lamar Jackson actually, when he scrambles, he still runs to his left and still runs to his right, still looking downfield. He's not ready to scramble yet, but the thing is, when he is ready to scramble, he commits and does it immediately. Jordan, I think Max made a really good point. He puts his head down and you know is still deciding, you know, I want to be a passer or or should I run? He's still not confident in doing either because he's trying to be in the middle because he doesn't want to be too much of one good thing because Max is right where essentially he lives and breathes and his best when he's a dynamic scramble because he's so athletic. But I don't think he has the confidence yet for that. And quite honestly, I think it's detrimental to his development if we keep trying him out there for three to four, maybe three, four passes, and we just bench him. So to me, I think we sit him down and then hope for next year that he is the guy. Or from all accounts right now from practice, it might be Chubba. So. Yeah, and that's I, – I agree with everything you just said. The, the, the most curious decision of all to me – the first two games and last week is why are we taking every quarterback off the field? Or why are we doing these bizarre things with both of them on the field that aren't tricking anyone? Like the wildcat isn't working. It, it it's pointless. We're, we're putting both quarterbacks on the field. Hmm. I wonder if Mackenzie Milton might catch a pass from run for 80 yards. Everyone knows that's not going to happen. Yeah. Why is, yeah, that's nothing. Why is Mackenzie Milton out wide? That's like when we saw remember Tom Brady. We saw Tom Brady do it in the Super Bowl. He dropped the damn ball. Right. Tom Brady, yeah. the greatest QB in the history of the game. My man can't run a route, man. It's, no, it's perfectly fine. You think Mackenzie Milton can do that? Like, right. come on. Please. Before we get over to that, Dave, do you have anything else regarding the quarterbacks? Uh, God save us. That's my opinion, Drake. Uh, God save us. And hopefully, you know, when God does save us, he brings us out, us. A bunch of built bars, built bars with 16 delicious flavors. As you know, I am a cherry bar sia guy. Dave is a salted caramel. Max is kind of—he's the peanut butter brownie guy. I've actually gotten a little more into that. I had the lemon cheesecake actually the other day. And whoo, head on over to builtbar.com. Use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's promo code LOCKED15. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5. Built bar, the official—the official protein bar of the U.S. Track and Field team. And folks. They are delicious, they're nutritious, and as I always say, Dave, they are very, very delicious, sir. I'm right. And also, this is actually probably one of my favorite sponsors that we got on here. 
prize picks. Now, folks, I, as you know from last Saturday and Saturday before, I like to game a little bit. Uh, Dave also, as you know, me and him, me and Dave have been doing fancy sports for a very, very long time. And nothing too that we love gambling, especially on baseball, whether it be innings pitched, strikeouts, over under hits. Prize picks is just that for you. If you want to head on over there and maybe you know make a selection whether or not someone is going to have over under one, maybe two hits. Maybe you have Garrett Cole on the mound, get six and a half strikeouts. Sandy Alcantara was flirting with the perfect game until the seventh inning last night. Maybe go with eight strikeouts. Folks, he gets 10 every damn game. Go with that. You can help with our prize picks and make those selections. We don't have the promo code for you right now, but just head on over to prizepicks.com. You'll get the promo code, and you'll thank us for it later. So, Dave, now we've seen it's about been three days since the game. I'm not even going to you know, refer to it anymore. I, and unfortunately, game. I have been doing a thing that me and Max discussed before the season started, that we buy T-shirts and apparel from teams that we lose to. And now, unfortunately, I now am the owner of a long sleeve Notre Dame shirt. Thank you, Phil G. And a Jacksonville State hoodie. So, I am dead inside. Dave, what do you want to move on to now to close out the show? I think we got to talk about just what the rest of the season needs to look like or what the implications of what we've seen so far is. Because this year mattered for the trajectory of the program. And it's not impossible for us to reclaim the year, but we're in a bad spot after that game last week, starting 0-2. I think we're 3-8 and since Mike Norvell's taken over. Yeah, there's there's things that need to change, and I'm not certain it doesn't start with the coaching staff. Yeah, I mean, like, I think one benefit with Mike, I give him a lot of flack for a lot of things. I do think he did tell these kids that, hey, we're not going to be particularly great, so – if you look at our roster, you can definitely come and plug and play here. Like if I'm if I'm Ron Dugans, I'd be like Kevin Coleman. Look, you see that pass that Keishon Heldon dropped? You don't drop that pass. Travis yeah. Hunter, you see that 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 pick that you know went off the tips of Travis oh. Chase's hands? You should, that you're gonna make that pick. And AJ Duffy, you see that throw that Mackenzie Millen you know, overthrew Cam McDonald over the seam route? You make that throw. So that's kind of the one thing that I like. If I'm Mike, I would be reiterating verbatim, and I think he's been doing that because one thing that we we all can agree to that he's been transparent and honest with these kids, like what he wants to do with them, right? And the problem, though, with that is that we need to start winning some games to at least, you know, sell that forward to them because we see right now with Joe Judge over in the, with the Giants that him and Mike have been preaching the same thing, you know, Klein get 1% every single day, being very blunt in their assessments, and both of them have not really results for winning. And once, you know, you don't win, you can be as much as blunt as you want kids are going to stop listening to you if you don't produce some results. Yeah, you know, we hear a lot that wins may not necessarily matter so much to recruits. I think that's like a sliding scale. Like, there's a difference, a categorical difference, between being a 2-10 and 10 team and a six, even a 6-16. Six and 16. That's a big difference. The problem we're in now is we came off that Notre Dame feeling so good a lot of national media even jumped on board the, wow, FSU really is on the right track to getting, quote, back. Not that they are back, but that they are really on the right track. And this last week could not have erased that narrative or set it back any further. I, I, I don't know at this point how right now you sell to recruits. What you saw last week, just kidding. It's really what you saw that first week when we still lost, but – and didn't it look good, you know, and we talked a lot before the season about we need a six-win team. We 
we still have a path to that. I, I know it doesn't feel very good to a lot of people right now. It's still possible. Which is why this game coming up this week is so important. It's starting 0-3 would be as damning of a season as we could start with. And it's still a very winnable game. It's the game that before the season we would have expected to win. Coming off Notre Dame, you couldn't have convinced me there was a chance we would have lost to Wake Forest. And now we're in a spot where we're underdogs. And this feels an awful lot like a must-win game, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a must-win game. I think not. Only, I think just for his tenure. I mean, we made the we made the concession that Notre Dame could definitely have ended Mike Norvell's tenure before it started. Because primarily, to me, with Jacksonville State, I think you can point to coaching errors, and also from like some of the some of the kids, some of the players that were that played that day, they were very, they were they were not they were too sold on the hype that they were already back and that they're already great. But then with Wake, if like this is completely different with that. To me, this is a game that – it's a Power 5 team for one thing. It's a conference opponent. It's a team that beats you the past – I mean, we would have lost to them last year. We lost them the year before. And I think Max mentioned earlier in the group chat, Wake Forest has ended the tenures of like Bowden and Willie Taggart. So, to me, this is a must-win game for Coach Norvell, primarily for recruiting, for boosters too, because I'm not going to lie to you, Dave. On Sunday morning, I'm like, you know – I was going to up my donation the other day, but now I don't even know if they deserve my money at this point. Yeah, it's and that's one of the tough spots we're in, among others. Another one is that after you start 0-2, my worry is if we start like 1-2 even, my worry was that players are going to start playing selfish football because there's not an awful lot of team football left to play because there's nothing for the team to really do if that's the trajectory you're on. Not, not that that's... Correct, but I think I can see why that would be a lot of players' mindsets. Like, well, this year's chalked. I'm going to go out and get some tape, right? I'm going to go out and try to make superhero plays. So the coaching staff now has to also rein that in. And you and I were skeptical of Adam Fuller coming into this year. I now have some pretty significant skepticism over Coach Dillingham. And it's going to be really interesting to see if they can rein the players in and keep them motivated and focused. And maybe not keep them, but get them motivated and focused because it didn't look like it at all last week. What's really funny is with Fuller, I think is the only one that like is actually like okay, you've improved from you've improved <laughs> to me from year one because yes, the play call at the end of Jacksonville State, I'm I'm in, I'm of the opinion that he asked Norvell to do one thing, they did another thing, and then they agreed on that. And to me, you don't you, you run prevent only. Even I know I yeah. I didn't play football competitive level, but I know when they're doing a hail mary. I ask Madden every single time. I get to say this yeah. up and do prevent. That's it. You don't run cover one robber, and you also don't say, oh, they might have enough time for a field goal. My guy, there were six seconds left in a game, and they have a true freshman kicker that's never kicked. And also, if they make a field goal, you go to OT. But with Dillingham, yeah. I don't know how much. I think Max has tested this too. I think he said this before. I'm sorry, Max, I'm putting words in your mouth. You can correct me you know, later on. That he actually doesn't call most of the plays. He kind of gives like an input from the box. And he's more on hands-on with the quarterbacks. Because from my experience, like working in offices, head coaches, especially head college coaches, are very, very controlling, especially on their side of the ball. And I think we're kind of seeing that with Norvell, Norvell's stubbornness where, no, man, we're going to keep running the Wildcat. So I'm kind of with you on that with Dillingham a, a slight bit. But to me, my gaze more is on the coach Norvell to being, hey, you need to look yourself in the mirror and put your ego aside because Dabo did that after he struggled in his first two years. 
Yeah. Jimbo was starting to do that a little bit at Texas A&M. Nick Saban 100% did that because he hired Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian to update his offense because they did not win two straight years, and now they win every other year. So. Yeah, we have no choice. Truly, we have no choice but to trust that Norvell will get this turned around. Or if not fully turned around, like I said, at least in the right direction if he's not here forever for whoever takes over. Um, I'm not I'm not certain who at all on this coaching staff may be part of the problem. I'm not I'm not convinced at all that part of the coaching staff isn't part of the problem. I think more than likely we're going to see one or more co- uh, coaches leave this offseason, and it's probably not going to be one of those, wow, look at this better job they got. Maybe it will be for one, you know, Dillingham or Fuller. I, I'd be surprised. But Mike Norvell has to do some real soul searching, like you said, and not be too stubborn here because while he has all the job security in the world with the fact that we can't pay a buyout, if he wants his legacy to be one where – He's a successful college football coach. It ain't going to be because of what he did at Memphis. And he has a big hole to dig out of. And if he, everyone on his staff isn't helping him dig out of that hole, he needs to get rid of them. And these players need to need to be have coaches that they respond to. And it doesn't look like they did last week. Dave, let me ask you one quick question, though, before we head out of here today and send the folks on their way. Is it just me or if we beat Wake on Saturday – I would be more mad if we had lo- than we had lost because of it's like why the hell can you beat Wake and not beat Jacksonville State? Yeah, the cynical part of me definitely thought that at first. I've gotten over that. I I need to see blood. I mean, like I need to see a team that is so aggressively angry that at the end of the game we're up by fifty points and we are still going for fourth downs and throwing the ball down their throats. I I want to pull out every stop possible to the point where this is the biggest win we've had against Wake ever. I That's what I need to see. I, I think, like you said, a loss is almost indistinguishable from another one of these close games. we got to see the progress. We're, we're getting to the end of the clock here. We're getting to the end of the clock, and unfortunately, too, we're getting the clock for today's episode. Folks, Dave is right. Max is right also with it that we only are seeking progress, not perfection. That's all we really want. That's all we really need, and I don't know why. It's not that hard to attain that because, God, I feel like I'm going to go bald by from following and watching this team because this is exhausting. And, folks, we promise that's the end of our sort of moratorium or autopsy from the game on Saturday. I, we just felt it was very important that we all got our, our got our takes in for that because it was the most embarrassing thing that I've ever witnessed. And I'm a Marlins fan and a Panthers fan, so if that that's really right up there when in top five things. <laughs> trust me, right? I'm a cynical person as Dave as Dave has known me for a very long time. So is Max. But folks, thank you all so much for coming for the love and support and coming by. Listen to us, please. Don't forget to give us a five star review. You know, we'll read it off on Five Star Fridays. Don't forget to like, share, rate, and subscribe either our podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast from. For Drake, that was Dave. We'll see you next time on Lockdown Sentinels. I miss you, Jimbo. Don't at me.